Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Chris's Courses as we're going through questions in Genesis. We're looking at the first book of the Bible and thinking about what are the kind of questions that this book wants us to ask? What is it asking us? And what is it trying to tell us about who God is and who we are as God's people? So we're on the fifth episode, and we're still not even through chapter three. So as I've mentioned, we're taking our time here at the beginning. We're going to speed up a lot more as we get further in, but these first few chapters are so foundational uh, for establishing the goodness of creation, the goodness of humanity, and seeing the ways in chapter three that that goodness is sometimes distorted. So we're taking a couple weeks to look at chapter three, and last week we talked about the causes of sin. So this week we're looking at the effects of sin. So one of the things that we saw as part of the cause for Adam and Eve sinning is that they were childish, they were immature. In some sense, they didn't really know what they were doing. And so this idea of the knowledge of good and evil, it's like defining right and wrong on our own terms. And you know, as we mature, we want to be able to define good and bad, to say what's right or what's wrong, but you can't do that when you're not prepared for it, which is basically what they're doing there. They wanted certainty over trust in God. Because, you know, God wants us to grow in wisdom. God wants us to know what's right. And discerning good and evil, that, that happens over time. It's a long process. You can't rush it, which is what the fruit, eating that fruit kind of symbolizes. Now, one of the other things we noticed is that God said, if you eat the fruit the day you eat of it, you will die. But what actually happens? Uh, we're going to see the way that these consequences consequences come about, and how God is actually still working through them in the midst of it. So there's a series of, of three either curses or consequences. We can talk a little bit about which one they are in a minute, but each one of them distorts a different aspect or a different relationship. So we're going to look at them individually, and then we'll talk about how we respond to all of them as a whole. But I, I think the guiding question behind all of this should be, is this what God wants for us, or is this what sin does, right? Is this God's actual desire for how the world is meant to be now, or is this a distortion caused by sin that God actually doesn't want? So we'll read first uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 uh, for the first consequence, right? The last thing we just saw is that God asked them, you know, what happened? What'd you do here? And they all are just blaming each other. The man blames the woman uh, and sort of blames God. The woman blames the snake, and so now the God speaks to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild animals. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel." So this is the distortion of the, of the relationship between humans and animals, or humans and the rest of created beings. As we mentioned last week, in the view of Genesis, this is not Satan or the devil. This is just a snake. And it doesn't even seem to think that this one is uh, special. It's just the snake is very crafty. And you know, so you just think about this. Well, what's your reaction to seeing a snake in the wild? Or even if you go to the zoo and you see some of the, the big, scary ones, right? It's, your immediate reaction is to, to run away, to jump, or maybe to want to try and kill it. Right? And, you know, there are some snakes that are very deadly. Um, 
but we just kind of have like this gut reaction to it, right? It's an instinct almost. And so I think that's what this is pointing to. They would have experienced that more, you know, at this point, a lot of them are more in the wild. And so this is even more of a threat than they are to us. In fact, snakes are a common symbol of, of evil. Maybe that's why that's what the animal is here. And, you know, when God says you're going to you know, crawl on your belly, it could possibly imply that snakes were upright or had legs before. That's, again, one of those questions that I don't think the book's really trying to answer, but, but we might wonder about it. And even though it is just talking about the, the serpent here, I think we can read this on a broader level of, of the ways that humans and animals don't get along. You know, later on in verse 21, God is going to make clothing for Adam and Eve from animal skins. I'm guessing those animals uh, you know, didn't give that nicely of their own accord, right? <laughs> animals kind of need the skin. And so there are all sorts of ways that we feel threatened by or we are a threat to other creatures and this, in a broader sense, I think is pointing towards that. So now that we you know, establish the way that Genesis is looking at this, uh, this curse, we do want to think about, is there any sort of messianic interpretation going on here? Right? Because that's the way that some will read this as, well, this is really talking about how Jesus defeats the devil. Well, we've already seen that, at least in the mind, mindset of Genesis, it's not talking about the devil. But can we make that move or not? Well, for one thing, it does actually refer to the snake's offspring. So all snakes, not just this one, as if this is someone different, right? And seed typically refers to a group, not an individual. Uh, and what they do to one another, you heard that in this translation, uh, they both strike each other. Uh, you may get some translations like the NIV will say like, well, you'll uh, attack it, but it'll really, it'll crush you. So, again, people using those translations will read that as saying, well, Satan seems to defeat Jesus on the cross, but Jesus actually defeats him. Uh, that's reading. That, that's not really being accurate or true to the Hebrew here, even though that is what happens, right? So, again, if we're starting from the Christian perspective, we know that that is the story. We can look back and see that, but acknowledge that that's, that's a bit of a stretch for what Genesis is trying to say. So next, in verse 16, we get the distortion between women and men. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So it's really not just women and men, but uh, all family dynamics seem to be messed up because of this here. Men, women, and children. You know, again, I think it's very important we, we see that in the first two chapters of Genesis, men and women were, were equal partners. There's no mention of hierarchy or them having different roles or jobs. Uh, they're on the same level. Uh, they, they see one another as equals. And uh, so this is a change from that, right? That, that's not how it was in the beginning. Now, obviously, I have not experienced childbirth personally. I've, I've been in the room when it's happened. And so, yes, I can probably, I don't have to tell most, or at least half of you, that the pain of childbirth is a real thing. And it does say, you know, I'm going to increase it, not just uh, create it here. But, uh, and, you know, again, uh, as painful as that is, I know I have no right to speak to that. This uh, idea of grief and having children can actually refer to more than just the process of birth. It can actually refer to the entire relationship between parents and children. 
Uh, I mean, just think about the book of Genesis. I think it, it makes this pretty, pretty clear. How many stories are there in this book of distorted family dynamics of one parent favors this child and the other parent favors this one or uh, you have multiple wives and you like the kids from this one and not as much the others, right? So the, it's not the real consequence here is not just hours of physical pain, but a lifetime of emotional pain that, that comes with you know, trying to raise kids in this world. So that, that side of it uh, between parents and children is distorted, and then also between um, men and women. So he says that your desire, he's t- speaking to the woman, your desire will be for your husband. So I don't know how that strikes you as you know, positive or negative or, or just neutral. Uh, this, this word for desire here, it's not a very common word, um, it does actually show up in Song of Songs, chapter 7, and there, there it's uh, positive, but it also show, shows up in the next chapter as a negative thing. Sin has the same sort of desire for Cain. So, you know, we could talk a lot about desire and what that is and whether that's a good thing or not. A lot of times it's uh, how it's being used in the context. I think Song of Songs, in particular, the, the good side of it is actually trying to reclaim the positive side of, of desire. So whatever it is that the, the wife feels for the husband, uh, even if it is a positive thing, the flip side is just negative, right? But, it says, right, very strong contrast, but he will dominate, he will rule over you, he will lord it over, you know, to use the language that, that Jesus uses in Mark 10. So this is obviously negative. Now, instead of there being equality, we have patriarchy. We have men ruling over women. And, you know, just look at history, look at the news, even still today, and you see how true this is. I think that's very important. We establish that this idea of men ruling over women is not God's original intent for creation. It's something that is a result of sin. It's a consequence of sin, just like all these other negative consequences This is not actually the way God designed it to be in the beginning. So finally, we get the distortion of the relationship between humans and the earth. And God said to the man, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. So Adam was formed to care for the earth, for the ground and the plants, and now uh, it's not going to be very easy. Right? They were described before the trees as fu- fruitful and beautiful. It implies that the, whatever farming work he had to do wasn't too hard, but now it will be. Right? The ground is somehow cursed. And the fact that they're eating from a tree, I think, is part of the, the connection here. It's not this arbitrary thing, but because you took advantage of uh, something from the earth, the earth is not going to be the same as it was. And so this, this is the idea that humanity has somehow uh, messed up the earth. We're causing grief to creation. It's an idea that Paul picks up in Romans 8, where it talks about humanity being subjecting subjecting the creation to frustration and that someday you know when the children of god are revealed fully when humanity is as it should be when we're finally acting like divine caretakers then that relationship is going to be restored 
And in fact, in some ways, through Christ, we can already be doing that. But again, we have to ask, how does our sin affect creation now? Again, we uh, there's so many examples of the ways that we are abusing the earth, we're dominating it, we're using it for our own ends, and uh, we're suffering consequences from it. So we have to take that seriously and see that this is an outcome of, of what we do. It's not just an accident, but we're a part of that. So before work was a blessing, and now it's, it's hard labor, right? It's toil. I think that there's a good distinction to make there between work and toil, because work is fulfilling, it accomplishes good things, and toil is when you just feel like you're, you're just, you know, hamster in the wheel. You're doing the same things all the time, and it's not productive, it's, it's not joyful. That's, uh, that's what we experience. Again, whether you work on a farm or not, we've probably all had that, those kind of jobs where it did just feel like toil. And maybe this is pointing towards that as well. It's not just physical exhaustion, it can also be emotional ex- exhaustion. And then finally, God says that humans return to the dirt from which they're made. Uh, that we come from the dust, and that's where we, are, we will return. You know, it's a reminder that we are not separate from creation. Uh, and we're seeing the negative side of that here, but that's, it's part of who we are, and we can't avoid that. And in fact, death might be a, a, sor- a sort of a gift here. If, if this is what life is going to be like, then you probably don't want to live like that forever. We'll come back to the idea in, in, in a little bit, actually. So what do we do with all these consequences or curses? Uh, even that language, I think, is important because if it's, if it's a curse, then it's God making it happen. And if it's a consequence, it's just something that, that is happening. And I think we should think of it more of the second. is it, When there's sin, God isn't just arbitrarily putting some punishment on top of it. It's something that comes naturally from what we do. So these are consequences of sin. But should we work to maintain them or should we work against them? Are they actually commands of what God wants, what we should do? Or is God just saying, this is how it is? And I think it's important that we be consistent here, right? Do men have to work manual labor? If that's the case, then I am currently standing because I'm sitting in an air-conditioned office to record this. Uh, So I'm not doing the manual labor where I eat by the sweat of my brow. But I think most of us would argue that, that that's okay, that if you choose that kind of job, then it's okay to have air conditioning. Uh, do we have to kill every snake that we see? Right? It says that you'll crush its head. Uh, and so if you're going to take that as a literal command, then that's what you have to do every time. Uh, are women supposed to suffer in childbirth? Well, if that's the case, then having an epidural is, is ungodly. Uh, I'm definitely not going to argue that. And uh, beware anyone that, that would. And then, must men rule over women? Should we maintain that hierarchy and power imbalance? Well, I think some people will be inconsistent and say that, no, of course, those first three, we don't, we're not supposed to do that. And in fact, uh, it's okay, it's good to work against it. But they want to keep that third one as somehow necessary or something God wants. Now, we need to be consistent and see that this men ruling over women is just as much of a negative consequence that we're called to work against as every other thing that's in here. So let's be consistent in the way that we read these consequences the way we read any command that comes from God. And however we understand it, Jesus takes away the curse. In Galatians 3, Paul is very clear about that, uh, that whatever curses there are, 
God is working to heal those through Christ. And in some senses already has, in some senses we're, we're working towards that or waiting for it. Uh, Christ will ultimately heal the divisions between all creatures. You know, you see that in the prophets where it will speak of lions laying down with the lamb. I think it's pointing towards a reversal of that. Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, talk about creation being freed from the bondage, the slavery that it's in right now, and that our weak flesh and blood, right, dust to dust, that's transformed by the resurrection. And as Paul also says in Galatians 3, in Christ, there is no male and female. We're all one. So that essential unity is something that we already have in Christ. We just need to claim it. You know, I think of the verse from Joy to the World. It's, it's a little little early for Christmas songs, I guess, right now. But uh, the verse that says, No more let sin and sorrows grow, or thorns infest the ground. Uh, it's, it's, that verse is talking about these curses here in Genesis 3. Um, but he comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found, right? Uh, through Christ, this is the joy that we have because of Christ coming into the world. We don't have to endure these things anymore. So let's do whatever we can to make this world more like how it was in the beginning. Now, some of those things we maybe can't fully overcome in this life, but a lot of them we can make better. And we definitely shouldn't try and maintain them as if it's something that God wants when it's clearly not. When God has clearly shown us in the beginning how everything between us and the land, between us and the creatures, and between us with each other is meant to exist in harmony. All right, so let's see how these consequences work out as we continue through the story. I'll read just the next couple verses, starting in verse 20. The man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and his wife and clothed them. So you see positives and negatives here, right? When Eve gets her name, so that name relates to the word for life. And so it's a way of saying Life will go on. This is not the end for humanity. Uh, and yet there's the negative of, well, Adam naming her is kind of an act of domination, right? That's what he did for all the animals and the creatures. So in a sense, he's already fulfilling what God has said is going to happen in verse 16. He's kind of over her in that sense already. And then this idea of clothing from God. God provides more than they can provide for themselves, right? They just had the little fig leaves and God gives them more substantial clothing, something that will actually keep them warm and protect them from the elements. And yet, like I said earlier, God probably had to sacrifice some animals in order to save the humans. So, you know, our, our salvation, our, our covering has to come from something else. Uh, so it has to be taken from, from something in order for us to live. And then after that, uh, they're sent out of the garden. So I'll pick up in verse 22. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and to the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. So was the serpent right? Was he right about them not dying when they eat the fruit? Well, they didn't die, uh, at least not immediately, like God said. Or should we see this as God and the serpent maybe saying different things? I mean, the point is they didn't gain anything for sure from this, and they really lost everything. 
but it seems like this this tree of life here is what gives immortality. It's not something that they had beforehand or, or is inherent to being human. Um, but God seems to recognize here that, that eternal life in this sort of life and in, in the flesh here is a terrible prospect that you know they don't they shouldn't have that they they're not going to want that and so again death can be seen as as something of a of a gift uh, even that could be an example of of grace again the penalty is not immediate death as predicted but but exile i don't know if you know what god intended there but whatever god said in the beginning god is being more gracious here uh, but we can see this as a form of death still. It may not be a literal, you know, you drop down dead, but they're separated from home. They're separated from one another in their relationship. And they're separated somehow in their relationship from God. All that is a form of death. And so, you know, if you understand what God's saying, the consequence was, maybe it's not exactly what they expected. And it's definitely not what the serpent was saying it would be, but it's still a huge loss. So even if sin doesn't kill you the second that you do it, it is killing something. It is a little death that you're bringing into your life. It's harming one some relationship between you and someone else. It's harming even just you, your relationship with your own self, and somehow it's harming our relationship with God. So we do want to take these things seriously and see them. It's all death all the way down that affects us when, when we're you know, turning away from the source of life. But how's that going to work out? It's always going to look a little different. So a couple other conclusions as we wrap up this story here. Some have seen Genesis 2 and 3 as uh, reflecting the story of Israel, where God forms a people. God places them in a fertile land. God gives them instructions to choose life. But the people disobey and define good and evil on their own terms, and so... The result is exile. You know, the later readers would have heard this, and, and so that's a way of, of seeing that the story of Adam and Eve is kind of all of our stories. Uh, we may not be the exact same as Israel, but we all experience this. We're all making these sorts of choices. God has given us these opportunities, and we're choosing something else uh, on a regular basis, unfortunately. And so we can see that this isn't just about them. It's about all of us and what we do and often what the consequences are, but hopefully we can learn from it. If we are growing in maturity and the knowledge of right and wrong, we can actually try and make better choices. Because we can. We're, we're able to make those choices. If you read the rest of the Old Testament, Adam and Eve are never blamed as you know, this cause of sin in like this hereditary sense, right? Because they did this, then you all have this curse in you. Uh, the idea of original sin, the idea, even the words, the fall, that's not language from Genesis. That's something that we've supplied and added to it. And in fact, Adam is really not a major factor, uh, character in the rest of the Old Testament. The only other time that Adam is mentioned is in First Chronicles, uh, in the genealogy there, and that's the last book of the Hebrew Bible. And I know there is Romans 5 and everything Paul says there. We're not going to take the time to get into all of that. But that's, that's Paul looking back through the lens of the cross, trying to make sense of that to see what, what was really going on. But as we read Genesis, I don't think we should see it as, well, this is all Adam's fault, and now they're predestined to sin. They can't do anything better. 
as we get into the next few chapters, we're going to see that that's very clearly not the case. There is some sort of disposition that tends towards negative. We'll, we'll see that as well. And yet, I want us to pay attention to how Genesis and all the Old Testament talks about sin and human ability and the choices that we have. Because we do always have a choice. There are a lot of circumstances, as we talked about last week, we don't want to be in the victim mentality of just always blaming everything else. Um, even though, yes, life is complicated and our choices are not always as 100% free as we would like them to be, we do have a choice. And we can hopefully learn from our mistakes, learn from others' mistakes, and choose the good, that we can choose life. Yes, death is real, and it weighs on us every single day, but we can still choose life, and we can find the abundant life that comes through Christ. Well, thanks, everyone. We'll pick up next week, and this is where we're going to start going a little bit faster and cover a lot more of this period from Genesis 4 to Genesis 11, this kind of early history. So we'll hit a lot more of that next week and look at further consequences of, of human rebellion. So more excitement to come. See you then.